right, if you're at home, would you please, I know I ask you this all the time, and I hope you do it, will you please stand up with me? If you're in your living room or your bedroom or wherever you're live streaming from, if you're in your car, though, go ahead and stay seated if you're driving, all right? If you're at home and you're live streaming, would you stand up for us? We love to stand when we gather together, read a passage of Scripture that we will be in today. It gives us this kind of honor and respect for God's Word. It reminds us that it's, it's God's Word that has authority over us. And so I want to read something out of Exodus 32. That's the passage we'll be in today. You can follow along with me if you like. Exodus 32, I'm going to start in verse 9. It says this, And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore, let me alone, that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them, in order that I make a great nation of you. But Moses implored the Lord, his God, and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people, whom you have bought out of the land of Egypt, with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say, with evil intent, did he bring them out to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self, and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven, and all of this land that I have promised I will give to your offspring, and they shall inherit it forever. Listen to this. And the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing on his people. As Moses is up on Mount Sinai, the people down below become very disobedient today. And at one point, God says, I'm ready to take them all out, right? I'm ready to get rid of the problem. And Moses, for the first time, really, uh, not for the first time, but really steps up in a new way. We'll say it that way. In a new way, he steps up to be a representative of the people to God. He does this in such an incredible way, and we're told of the mercy of God in this. Here's our main idea today. Mercy, spared by the judgment we deserve. Just like the Israelites at the bottom of Mount Sinai, we all sin and deserve wrath. God spares us by pouring out that wrath on Jesus instead. Moses provides insight into how Jesus takes our penalty and gives us mercy. You guys can be seated, and I'm going to pray, and we will dive into this passage. Will you join me in prayer? God, as we gather this morning, we are grateful to be here. We thank you for the rain. I know our, uh, in Southern California, we've been on fire so many times. And so thank you for the rain that's been coming. God, we are grateful for that. Lord, thank you for the internet. Even as we all want to be together, we wish we were in our building. We wish we were together. We're grateful for the internet. We thank you that we can meet still this way. I thank you for those that are being baptized next week, Lord. We were excited about this week, but even in that, we've been able to add other people that we didn't even know about. And so God, you work all things out for our benefit, and we're grateful. As we open up Exodus 32 today, God, will you speak to us? My prayer is always, God, may I fade into the background. May I disappear, and will you speak? Whether someone is listening here in town or on, over the internet, or they're around the other side of the world, let it be a message, Lord, that speaks to their heart, that, that encourages them, challenges them, convicts, and just whatever we all need. Lord, will you speak to us, please? We're your church, so therefore it's in your name we pray. Amen. Exodus chapter 32 is where we're starting. Right there, verse 1, if you want to join me. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron, and they said to him, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become with him. So we do not know what's become of him. So here's what the people say. Aaron Moses' brother, the future high priest, right, the, their leader, 
They say, listen, we don't know what's become of Moses, and it's taken a long time up on Mount Sinai. And as you remember the story, Moses is up the mountain, and God has covered the mountain with fire and smoke and a storm, and God is speaking to Moses. But it's taking a while. And it's, it's taking too long for the people down at the bottom of Mount Sinai who are there in the wilderness. And so they say, Aaron, listen, make us an idol. Make us a God we can worship because this one is taking too long, right? Verse 2, so Aaron said to them, take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives. I wish this, this other verse here, I wish this started off with Aaron at least arguing a little bit, but he doesn't. He says, take off the gold that's in your ears of your wives, your son and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Aaron doesn't even hesitate. And listen to what he says. These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of, the, of Egypt. He's attributing the work of God to this golden calf he just made. Now, if you've been around generations for any amount of time, like, you know, even into coronavirus. But before that, as we worked our way through the book of Isaiah, one of the things about the middle of the book of Isaiah, where God is speaking through his prophet Isaiah to the people in Israel and Judah, and he is calling them out for their sins. One of the things he says to them is, go bring out your idols. You know those things you fashioned out of wood and gold, and when you set them up, you have to make sure the bottom's really real level so they don't fall over on their own, right? And some of them you put like chains, like the big ones, so that they don't fall over. He says, you know those gods that can't even stand up on their own? Why don't you have them speak to you? Why don't you have them tell the future like I've been doing? In fact, I'll give you this one, God says. Why don't you even have them tell you the past? He says, that's right, they can't talk. And I remember that so impressing upon me that these idols can't do anything. And it goes from this piece of wood that, imagine I'm doing this, I'm carving out and whittling down and I make this thing, I make it with my hands and then I set it up over here and then I worship it. How do I make something? How am I, I'm greater than the thing I make, right? How do I then turn around and worship it? And that's exactly what takes place here. Aaron fashions a golden calf for the people from the gold that was in their ears and on their, brace, on their wrists and all this. And, and then when they do, they all set up shop to worship. So here's a note for you. This is in your church app if you have that on your phone. False worship, our conversation today. How often do we glorify something or someone for the good that God alone provides? Consider how deeply we hope in politicians and Supreme Court justices for our future. Are we any different than the golden calf worshipers? This has been the craziest election, right? This has been nutty, to say the least. But what I think is even crazier than the, the counting and the, and the lawsuits and the, the length of time to figure out who won what and all that, what is even crazier is Christians that are so bought in to their team's representative. This other human being, just like them, just a human. And there's somehow this idea that we're voting for the soul of our nation, and if we get the vote right, it'll fix everything. Well, if my candidate wins, it'll fix everything. And if, if this candidate wins, it'll just ruin everything or, or whatever. It's kind of like, here's this golden calf. Here's the God that brought you out of Egypt. Like, no, that's not who did that. God, the God who created everything, even the gold you made an idol out of, even the wood you fashioned into something, even me, even you, that God brought you out of Egypt. That God brings us through in our life.
Nothing and no one else should get that kind of glory. That's our starting point for this passage today. They're so deeply invested in this that they are worshiping falsely. They've abandoned God. There's Moses up on the mountain, and this is what's taking place down below while he is with God. Verse 5, when Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it, and Aaron made a proclamation and said, tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early the next day, and they offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. They go on and worship this for days in a drunken, playful, dancing, worshipful thing that is just an, an, an abomination to God. They are worshiping a false God that they just made with their hands, and they are eating and drinking and playing, and, and they're just caught up in this thing. And this thing is just so not what they have been God who is, who is literally, you can look up the mountain right now and see God consuming the mountain talking to Moses. God who is currently giving them the plans where he is going to move his presence from on the mountain to down among the people. God whose presence is currently over the people of Israel in a, cloud of, uh, in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. God whose presence is visible, they're ignoring and they are choosing to worship someone else. We need to hear that. As Americans today, we need to hear that. We need to wrestle with that. We need to repent of our worship of anything, our faith in anything other than God. Verse 7, And the Lord said to Moses, Go down, for your people, whom you brought out of the land of Egypt, have corrupted themselves. This is, God's like that angry spouse when the kids are acting up and the husband looks at the wife and he's like, your kids are over there doing that. Or the husband gets home from work and the wife's like, your kids have been so bad today. This is what God says. Your people, Moses, whom you brought out of the land of Egypt, have corrupted themselves. Verse 8, they have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. He says, they have broken my commands. Actually, if you think about this, the Ten Commandments, even all the expansion of that that comes after, but even in the first Ten Commandments, right in the Ten Commandments, the first three really is what they're doing. They're violating all the first three, the first three that refer to God, except for the Sabbath, they're breaking all the other three. They've created an idol. They're using God's name in the middle of this in a wrong, common, profane way. They're worshiping another God. They're just doing everything wrong, right? The, the Ten Commandments are this kind of summarized by love God, love your neighbor, and they're completely failing the love God part. And they are violating the commandments they've just been given. They credit the calf with their deliverance from Egypt. Here's a note for you. This has been that online conversation, if you will, the soul of our nation. Christians of both parties have contended that this election was about the soul of our nation, citing issues they care about. But do we truly believe that politicians or laws can fix the issue of sin in our hearts? When I look at this, this I just imagine God upon Mount Sinai, and yet God's presence visible to all the people. God doing God, right? Among the people. And then here's the people, and really their impatience is incredibly short-sighted, and, and literally with God's presence still around them, they just get tired of waiting. And, and I feel like we resemble that in our politics. I, I feel like we resemble that around coronavirus, and I'm not undermining how hard the coronavirus restrictions have been, but 
Really, when we look back on life, it's going to be this short time period. And it feels like forever right now, and I get that. But we think somehow in our politics, or we think somehow by doing what we desire, by doing what we want, not what God has called us to, by doing what we want, somehow the condition in our hearts will be fixed. The online conversations, we're fighting for the soul of our nation as if politics will fix our hearts, as if, hear me, as if politics can fix corruption. Isn't it politics that are so corrupted? Like, on, on both sides, I'm not even isolating one side or the other. No, no team jersey here, just let's look at what we're talking about. Let's look at our condition, and let's look at how much we look like this. The people can see God's presence, and they decide to worship another God. Verse 9 says, And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Some of you have heard this before. This is just my favorite example. When we, we talk about stiff-necked. It was back in the early 2000s. My wife and I had our first two dogs. We, we rescue pit bulls. We've, we've got all rescues and adoptions. And we had one named Smiley, my big male pit. And then we had this other one named Baby, this young, little or smaller white female pit. And when we first got her, we didn't know that she was a runaway. She kept running away. And people said she was very disobedient and all this. And we got her. She was adorable, but she wasn't all that obedient. And my wife and I figured out one day she was deaf. She couldn't hear. She wasn't disobedient. She had no idea what we were saying. And so we taught her everything. We taught her hand commands. And we taught her stay and sit and, and just all kinds of things. And, and we, we found ways to communicate with her. But here's what was funny. And you can just imagine this. If you know anyone who has lost their hearing or has been born deaf, right, that you can, you can look at them and talk and communicate. And we would do this with our dog in, in a smaller way, obviously, right? But here's what was funny. When Baby didn't want to listen to us, and by the way, her name was Baby, though she never heard that or knew that, right? But when she wanted to ignore us, here's what she would do. We'd be like, hey, Baby, come here. And my dog would literally look away from us. She would just turn her neck like this and just stiffen her head away from us like, I can't hear you. That's this. I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. I want this image to settle in for us right now. I want us to feel this. And I don't, this isn't what they do. This is what I do. This is what you do. This is what we do. Not them, us. When God is speaking, when God is teaching, when God is saying, what God is telling, here's what we do. We just, we just stiffen our necks and look away from God. That is us in our disobedience. Here's a note for you. Stiff-necked people. God says we turn our heads away and refuse to look at him. We need to see ourselves in this passage today and not others. We're in such a season right now of what everyone else is doing wrong. What that team or that politician or that party or that belief system on coronavirus or that race or that whatever. We're so used to saying what everybody else is doing. Listen, we got to hear this. We are the stiff-necked people. You and I, us. When God is speaking, he's speaking to us, his church. He loves us. He has saved us. He speaks to us. We worship him. It's us. And until we fix us, we have no place, no right, no ability to speak to anyone else. And right now, we look just like the rest of the world. We're just down at the bottom of Mount Sinai with God's cloud cover over us, worshiping a calf. We're as bought in as everybody else is. We stayed up just as late watching the politics, and we stayed up just as much watching the returns and, the, and just so caught up in it and so commenting on social media. Now, that's an understatement. It's us. We're so stiff-necked. We know better, but when God speaks, we just turn and, and just stiffen and harden ourselves to God. 
Verse 10, now God says, Now therefore let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them in order that I may make a great nation of you. God says this, remember what I did with Noah? So I'm not really allowed to use water anymore because I made a commitment, but I'm willing to do it another way. Like I'll start over with you because I'm so tired of caring for them and having them stiffen their necks against me. I'm so tired of feeding them. Every morning they get manna, every night they get quail, and I give them enough on the sixth day for the sixth and the seventh day so they don't have to work on the Sabbath. I do all this every day, and tomorrow morning they're going to get up and get manna and then worship the golden calf. And and I'm I'm tired of them saying that someone else delivered them when I delivered them. They're my kids, and they're like acting like somebody else is their parents, and somebody else is great, and I'm tired of it. And God vents this out so that Moses can hear it. And it's not that, Mo, that God is actually going to do this, though he'd probably like to. This is really a great glimpse into what we get to learn about Moses because Moses is going to teach us about Jesus. Now let me alone that my wrath may burn, he says. Verse 11, but Moses implored the Lord and his God and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand, right? Moses intervenes, but God, they're your people. Like, I know, they've been frustrating. They frustrate me too, but God, they're your people. It says Moses implored the Lord. Moses begs God to relent from his anger. We begin to learn about Jesus through Moses today, and Moses is not the hero of the story. Jesus is. But Moses steps up today, and we begin to see a foreshadowing of Christ to come through the man, Moses, that God has redeemed. Remember, he was a murderer on the run in the desert, running from Egypt, literally from murder, right? And he was a horrible leader. But God has been working with him and setting apart and and meeting with him. And now Moses is pretty amazing today. He's not flawless. In fact, he's going to go down the mountain and lose his stuff. But he's a pretty good leader today. See, the gospel is, is like it is like Moses. Kind of, Jesus comes and he enters into our story because of our sin. And so God becomes flesh and joins us. And, and then he comes and he defends us. God. He takes our place and he, he dies for our sin. He becomes our sacrifice. He takes the wrath of God that we deserve. He takes our penalty for sin. As he dies on the cross, he dies for our sin. But he also takes the wrath of God. It's not just death. It's the penalty we deserve. And Jesus stands like Moses in front of God saying, listen, they're your people. And I'm saying, will you relent from your anger? We begin to see a foreshadowing of Christ to come. The gospel is that God loves us, but we are sinful. We do deserve wrath. We have incurred this penalty of death upon ourselves. And when we are so disobedient, especially as God's people, when we're, when we're so, adulterous, so idolatrous and so just disobedient, I can imagine God being quite angry. I can imagine like God up on the mountain, like I should start over with a different group of people. Like the church in America, it, that, it's time is done. I can imagine God feeling that way, even if, just about me. But then Jesus says, no, no, wait, I died for them. We delivered them. They're ours. No, I will take their penalty. So Jesus lives here on earth among us, humbles himself from God to flesh, and then he dies our death. He dies a brutal death, vicariously taking our penalty. Then he is buried in a grave and raises from the dead, and he gives us new life, and now that mediator we've talked about, now God stands in front of us and said, no, there's ours. And God relents his anger and his wrath from us because it's been poured out on Christ.
The Gospels wound up in this story. That's why God speaks these things out loud. He's not just venting and blowing up. He's not throwing a temper tantrum. He's speaking in ways that we can understand how God feels about our sin. But then he begins to preach Christ through Moses' life. Jesus becomes the greater and perfect Moses. The deliverer from Egypt, if you will. He becomes that. In Luke it says this, And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And then they cast lots to divide up his garments, and the people stood by watching, and the rulers scoffed at Jesus, saying, He saved others, let him save himself. If he is the Christ of God, his chosen one, as Jesus is dying on the cross, as he is giving his life for us, he says, Forgive them, for they know not what they do. Forgive them, they're ignorant of how sinful they are. That's what Moses is saying to God right now, up on Mount Sinai, saying, can we forgive them? I know they're wrong. They don't get it. It's like us, church. We, we just need to recognize we're sinful, we're broken, we're jacked up, and we don't always even understand how broken we are. But there's a God who loves us, who won't exert his wrath on us, because Christ has taken that already. The gospel is such good news that, that God is favorably inclined to us because of what Christ has done. And so there we get this image of Moses up there being our kind of Christ to come showing us how God's wrath is against sin and, and yet how Jesus will stand and, and defend us and take our penalty and, and take the wrath, take the anger. It should cause us to know how much God loves us that he would allow his son to come and be that for us. Verse 12, it says, Why should the Egyptians say, With evil intent did he bring them out, and to kill them in the mountains, and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger, and relent from this disaster against your people. Remember Abraham, and Isaac, and Jacob, or Israel, your servants, same person, to whom you swore by your own self, and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars in the heaven, and this land that I have promised I will give to your offspring, and they shall inherit it forever. He says, remember your promises, don't remember their sin. This isn't about God's memory. Sometimes we can read this, and what we're doing is we're giving God human traits, right? God has to reveal himself to us in ways that we can understand. So God takes on human attributes, anger, wrath, memory, things like that. And what we're hearing here is, is Moses say, please remember your promises, don't remember their sin. It's said really well in Hebrews 10 this way. This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws on their hearts and I will write them on their minds, he says. I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. This is God saying, listen, I will invest my truth inside of them. I will turn them through Christ to becoming mine and I will put my rules and their laws in their hearts and in their minds and I won't remember their sin anymore. This is an image of a human mind, but God isn't going to forget. God is deliberately removing that. And we get this beautiful image of God not remembering our sin anymore. Verse 14, and the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing on his people. I love the nuance of that sentence that he relented of doing what he spoke about. It's not like God changed his mind. It's not like God was Headed this direction, he spoke what was true, his wrath, his anger, the sin, the corruption, the idolatry, and that it would be, sometimes, I'm sure it'd be easier to start out with a brand new group of people, and, and, and I'm, I must cause these, evoke these feelings in God, I'm sure. There are times like, okay, Jeff, I could do better. 
I could start over. Anybody could do your job, dude. I can make anybody, I can get them there. But it's beautiful to hear, but then God relents. That God says, no, you're mine. He says the same thing to you. If you're in Christ, he says it to you, you're mine. As frustrating as we can all be, we're God's. That in Christ, that, that there is no more God's going to take his wrath out of us. In Christ, that debt has been paid. There is mercy for those who are in Christ. Right? God shows mercy. He doesn't change his mind. He shows mercy. Verse 15, Then the Lord turned and went down from the mountain, and the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, tablets that were written on on both sides, on the front and the back, they were written. The tablets were the work of God, and the writing was the writing of God engraved on the tablets. It says, when Joshua heard, verse 17, the noise that the people, as they shouted, he said to Moses, there's a noise of war in the camp. But Moses said, it is not the sound of shouting for victory or the sound of the cry of defeat, but the sound of singing that I hear. What happens is, as they're coming down, now Moses has gone up into the presence of God, and, and Moses has been spoken to by God, and, and Moses even says, please, let's forgive the people. Don't remember their sin. Remember your covenant. Don't remember their sin. And so Moses starts to work his way down, but his assistant is halfway down the hill, Joshua. In fact, the leader that will take over after Moses is Joshua. Joshua is one of the ones that as they sent spies into the land, he was the one that just saw what God could do, not the problems. Jo Joshua is an amazing an amazing figure in both Moses' life and in Scripture. As he comes down, Joshua and he are walking, he are, they're walking down and, and they hear this noise and Joshua thinks there's war down the mountain as they hear this crazy noise. And Moses says something profound. It's not the joy of victory. It's not the cry of defeat. That's singing. And here's what I would ask us today. As we worship as the church, as we sing, remember, they're worshiping a false god. They're worshiping falsely. Why don't our songs rise up so loud that people confuse it with war or victory? Why doesn't our worship, why doesn't our singing, isn't it that big? Why, why can't we be so fully invested as people who are worshiping a cap, a cap that can't fix anything, and yet you can hear them up the mountain? Church, even when we're at home, we should sing worship. We, when we gather, we should sing. Even if you don't love to sing or even if you don't think you have a great voice, it's not about that. In fact, we just did a, did a podcast. It'll be coming out, I think, next week, Tuesday. I think it'll be coming out Tuesday. And I got to interview our new worship pastor, Pastor Paul Tay. And one of the things he said is that we are instruments in the hands of God, that we, all of us, are instruments in the hands of God. And it was so good. He said, you know how there are really good musicians that can play kind of junky instruments and still make them sound really good? So that's God. God, we are, we are instruments in God's hand. When we worship, we are instruments of worship in God's hands, and he makes us sound good. He makes us sound the way we need to sound before God. Why doesn't our worship sound like a victory shout? Or even when we're hurting, when we're dying inside, why doesn't it sound like the cry of lament, like we're losing our war? Why isn't it more impassioned? Why does their worship of a false idol sound greater than our worship of the true God? Verse 19 and as soon as he came near the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, Moses' anger burned hot, and he threw the tablets out of his hands and broke them at the foot of the mountain. He took the calf that he had made, and he burned it with fire, and he ground it to powder, and he scattered it on the water, and he made the people of Israel drink it. And you think I have anger issues, right? 
Moses comes down the mountain, and here's this gold calf, and the people are losing their minds. They're sinning incredibly. They're drunk. They're dancing. They're shouting really loud, and they're worshiping a golden calf. And he legitimately burns this thing up and takes the dust, throws it in water, and he makes everybody drink it. Now, I don't think that would go very far. I don't think anybody in the church would actually go for that if I said that, but Moses comes down and loses his stuff. He throws the tablets. Just imagine this. These are the tablets God literally, and it just reiterated this in the verse prior, literally God wrote with his own hand. You have this image of the stone tablet and his finger engraving this thing, and Moses loses it and throws his stuff and then, as he's been up defending them, knowing what they're doing, he just can't see it. The anger pops at that moment. And he wants them to drink this, this bitter water. And here's a note for you. Here's why I think this verse is important. There's a penalty for sin. We all endure penalties for sin, even when we're forgiven by God. If you steal a car, you'll likely go to jail, or so they tell me. And even if God forgives you eternally, the penalties of our choices remain even when our debt to God is absolved. Here's what I want you to hear. When we make sinful choices, there's a penalty to those decisions, right? If I go out and steal a car, there's a good chance I'm going to jail. Now, if I am repentant, if I pray, God will forgive me. I'm not condoning the act and I'm not cheapening the sin. But the penalty for sin still happens. Not the eternal penalty, not the wrath of God that was poured out on Jesus, but the human penalty. And there's a piece of this. When, when Moses comes down and throws the things, just gets mad, he makes them walk through a penalty. He, they need to experience the bitterness, the pain, the penalty of their sins. They need to know that, yeah, God is going to forgive you here. This is not okay. And there's a penalty to this, to this false worship. You need to endure some penalty. Sometimes when we make those bad decisions, we have to walk back through them. Even though God has forgiven us and reconciled us and we are completely God's and he fully loves us and we are reconciled to God, but we have to walk through the penalty. And sometimes that allows us to learn and remember that there's a cost to our decisions in life. Verse 21. And Moses said to Aaron, what did this people do to you that you have brought such a great sin upon them? Moses asked his brother, why? Why would you do this, right? Verse 22, and Aaron said, let not the anger of my Lord burn hot. My Lord meaning Moses, not God. You know the people that they are set on evil. For they said to me, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us out of Egypt, the land of Egypt, we do not know what's become of him. So I said, let any who have gold take it off. And they gave it to me and I threw it into the fire. Listen, and out came a calf. This is like when you ask your kids like, Hey, did you know you got chocolate all over you? You're like, hey, did you eat the chocolate? Nope, no, no, wasn't me. Chocolate magically appeared, right? Like, this is such a lame lie, right? Aaron's like, so they gave me gold. I threw it in the fire and out jumped a calf. That's his answer. He just betrayed the first three commandments. He just worshiped a false idol. And he's like, hey, don't be mad. You know how bad those people can be. So I have them give me gold. I threw it in the fire and it just jumped out a calf. That's pretty bad. This guy, now here's what's good. It's a lame, it's a lie. He actually, as it says in the earlier verses, he actually carved out the idol, right? So we know it's all a lie. Here's the good news. Aaron becomes a good leader too. Aaron becomes, in the future, he becomes a great high priest. He does, he does become a good leader, but in this moment, what we see is a seriously jacked up, broken dude who can't even stand up to his brother and lies 
after just kind of leading this idolatry. Here's what's good news for you and I. We have hope, right? No matter where we are, no matter how broken, no matter how flawed, no matter where our character is, if God is in this, we too can become a great leader. Moses begins really bad, really disobedient, really angry too, and really not trusting God. And now Moses is a solid guy. He's not perfect. He's still human. He's not a superhero. He's still Moses, but he's a solid guy. Aaron will see that same kind of arc. He will go from really crummy dude to a really good guy. He will become a good leader. His sons will die because they're not so good, but there's hope for all of us in this. I want to focus on the theme of learning about Jesus a little more through Moses. So verse 25 says this, And when Moses saw that the people had broken loose, in other words, lost control, for Aaron had let them break loose to the derision of their enemies, in other words, they looked seriously wrong to the rest of the world. When Moses stood at the gate of the camp and said, Who is on the Lord's side? Come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered around. This is that moment. Who's on the Lord's side? I think we need one of those in America. I think we need one of those a lot. Who's on the team of God? That's what Moses is saying. Like, who's on the Lord's side? That's his question. There's this moment in Joshua, again, Moses' assistant. It says this Now, therefore, the fear of the Lord and serve, now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and faithfulness. Put away the gods that your father served beyond the river in Egypt and serve the Lord. Choose this day whom you'll serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And again, there needs to be this moment in all of us where we just draw a line and say, okay, we're not going back there. We're not worshiping the calves. We're not worshiping the gods of Egypt. We're not going to do that. We're going to draw a line and, 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 and 100% we're like, I'm in. I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm in. God is my God. We need to choose this day often who we are going to serve. Verse 27, it says, And he said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Put your sword on your side, each of you, and go to and fro from the gate to gate throughout the camp, and each of you kill his brother and his companion and his neighbor. Gets brutal right here. As the sons of Levi go out, and they take a sword out. Now they're asking, okay, who's on? What team are you on? Like, are you on God's side, or do you want to go worship a calf, right? There's a hard calling on them, and there's a hard outcome for others. Here's this verse in Matthew, and I just want to put some context around it with Jesus. Jesus said to him, it would, if you would be perfect, go, sell what you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. And when the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. The call to follow Jesus is, is to abandon everything else. It is, it is to let go of friends and family. It is to let go of anything. It is to let go of, of wealth, of anything, and pursue God. Now, most of us won't abandon family. Most of us, hopefully, our, our family comes to faith too. Most of us don't have to leave our job. But imagine, imagine you were super wealthy, but you were in the porn industry and you came to faith. Yeah, you would. If you're coming to faith out of the sex trade, which we've got stories like that around us, people have to leave their, their work. Like, there's people that have to abandon everything. Imagine people that are a part of, their families are a part of cults or other faiths that have been disowned for their faith. There, there are these stories. For most of us, our journey to Jesus is pretty easy. There's never this moment like, choose this day, or you could die, or you have to abandon your wealth, you have to do this. But the decision to follow Jesus should be challenging. It should be one of letting everything else go, that we abandon everything else 
for the cause of Christ. And the sons of Levi, verse 28, did according to the word of Moses. And that day about 3,000 men of the people fell. As they went through the, the, the camp, they went from gate to gate, and they asked, hey, who wants to still serve that, that calf over there? And people said, yes, they killed him. They said, listen, we're not going to let this pollute this community of people. There's 1.5 million people that are Israel right now in the desert, and about 3,000 of them are unwilling to repent. And for that, they give their life. Everyone else says, nope, I'm, I need to return to God. And I know this is crazy, I know this is out of our context, but we need to hear about hard decisions. We need to figure out what those look like in our lives today. Mark 8 says this, And Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. Jesus, the entire purpose of Jesus coming into human history is to be betrayed, to give his life in exchange for ours. If the call of Jesus is hard, and if he taught his disciples, he said, listen, they hated me, they're going to hate you too, and all his disciples went on to give their lives for their faith, what makes us think today that this should be comfortable? What makes us think that the decision to follow Jesus should come at no cost to us? Did Jesus die for nothing is our note. Imagine that Noah had built an ark, but God didn't flood the earth. What a waste, right? The same is true about hell. If judgment isn't real, then Jesus died for nothing. We must understand judgment if we want to value our salvation. Jesus' death was costly because it rescues us from a huge penalty. So choosing Jesus comes at a cost. No, we probably don't have to leave our job or our family, but we should be willing to leave everything for Jesus. And then we should, we should actually just imagine your hearts if we just abandon everything to follow Jesus and then Jesus says, okay, now go back to your home, love your spouse, love your kids, go to work, love your coworkers, love the other students in school, do this for me. Now go back into your life, but do it for me. Don't abandon everything. Go back and be a messenger for me. Verse 29, and Moses said, today you have been ordained for the service of the Lord. He says this to the Levites the sons of Levi, each one at the cost of his son and his brother so that he might bestow a blessing on you this day. The cost of following Jesus. Sometimes you lose people. Sometimes you lose things. Sometimes you give up whole components of your life, but for the glory of Jesus. The cost should be, we should see the cost in our life of what it looks like to follow Jesus. Verse 30, the next day, Moses said to the people, you have sinned a great sin, and now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. So Moses returned to the Lord and said, Alas, this people has sinned a great sin, but they have made for themselves gods of gold. But now if you will forgive their sin, but if not, here's what Moses says, please blot me out of your book that you have written. Moses says, if you can't forgive the people, take me too. Don't forgive me either. Moses has grown so much to where he is now the representative of the people. He now leads the people. And so their sin is his sin. So he stands before God and he says, please forgive them. Forget their sin. Please cover their sin. Please forgive them. But if you don't forgive them, then take me with them because I'm equally guilty. Can you see Christ as he stands before God and says, listen, this one's mine. I know they're crazy. I know they're sinful. I know they're corrupt, but he's mine. And you already took my life. He's forgiven. 
In Moses, we get a glimpse of Jesus to come. Moses, the flawed, broken man who becomes a good leader, gives us a foreshadowing of what our perfect, great Savior will be as Jesus enters into human history to stand before God and say, listen, you blot me out so we can forgive them. Verse 33, But the Lord said to Moses, Whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. But now go lead the people to that place about which I have spoken to you. Behold, my angels shall go before you. Nevertheless, in the day that I visit, I will visit their sin upon them. Then the Lord sent a plague among the people because they had made the calf, the one that Aaron made. The Lord says to Moses, I will blot out them. I will blot their sin out. I, I will do as you ask. But there's a penalty for their disobedience. And a plague comes down on the people and it says, because they had made a calf, right? The Lord sent a plague on the people. The very next chapter is going to be a series of things God does for them. In the very next moment, God is going to start to defeat their enemies. But there's been a penalty they had to walk through. There's been great mercy shown to the people. There's been forgiveness and mercy and grace. But even in the midst of that, there's been learning for them. The plague that they will endure, the temporary learning that they will endure, will remind them about their sin for years to come. Sometimes the things that we endure... Just teach us, remind us, they should, I hope, they should remind us our flaws and where we fall short. This year, this political season, let either, I, I think both candidates, I think, I think we get what we deserve, America. I think we get what we deserve. And I think in the church, equally, we get what we deserved. And we didn't have a great choice. Let that remind us that we've been too invested in that. Let, let all this, this coronavirus, this, this, this thing that's been protracted for so long, and it's been so hard, it's been so devastating economically and for people, and we have people that are COVID positive right now in our church, and there's been so much going on. But let's just pause and let it be a reminder that this world is not our home, that God is our God, that Jesus is our Savior, that, that there is no wrath eternally, that we are God's people now, that we have a job to do now. Let the penalties just be reminders of the broken world that we live in. In fact, to be fair, the broken world we've contributed to. And let the mercy and the grace of God encourage us throughout every day, no matter how long the season takes. Let Moses point us forward to Jesus who stands as our Savior, our God, and our Lord, and takes our penalty. Let us choose today who we will serve, and let that choice be Jesus. If you are in Christ, choose to set everything else aside and to follow Jesus alone. Generations Church, I love you. Let me pray for us. God, as we, as we remember today that our, we get so caught up in this world, that we're so invested in this, this thing that we can see, and, and God, you've blessed us with this world. We, we, we should enjoy this world, but our eyes should be lifted up to you alone, that our hearts should be given to you alone, that our voices should sing and worship to you alone. Forgive us for anything that has gotten in the way of that. God, forgive us for any place where we have fallen short of that and become idolatrous ourselves, our politics, our freedoms, our choices. God, forgive us. Let us experience your mercy brand new today and let us draw a line in the sand and say, I, I serve Jesus only and I am willing to give up anything. I'm also, I'm also agreeing to go back into my life and love everybody on his behalf and become that mediator like Moses and be a voice for people. Let us be overwhelmed with your mercy today, Jesus. It's in your name we pray, amen.